today we want to wrap up the series. We want to finish, and we want to talk about rewards. And it, it, I think rewards are, are, are very wonderful, actually. I love that song we just sang. It's an old song, Lord, You're Beautiful, and uh, Let Me Do Things for you that, that I don't expect a crown, but, but that it will just bring glory to you. You know that if you will live your Christian life to glorify God, I believe that you will satisfy God. I believe your life will be full. I believe God will say it's good. And, uh, and I think that's what we need to probably do. You have a long haul, you who are serving God. You have a long time to serve God. Jen and I have been in this thing 38 and a half years now. It's good. It's long. You know, it's amazing. Life is short, but life is very long. And you've got to stay committed to what's going on. So why do we do anything? Why, why would we serve our city? Why would we serve our God? Why do we serve and why do we do things? And I think we do things because we want to gain good results. I really do. I, I, I think everybody wants good results in their life. I believe personally we do things like we do healthy things because we want a healthy body. We, we work hard on our job because we like promotions. We, we, we do things uh, in our everyday life to make more money so that we have a better life. We all want to get a return on our investment. Can you say amen to that? I mean, we, we do. You know, if you invest in the stock market, you hope for a return. This week was not good for you who are in the stock market, but if you'll hang in there, it all comes around again, all right? And so we, we, we look personally for these gains. We invest in our family, our children, because we want one day to sit around the table at Thanksgiving with all of our kids, if possible, and they love God and they still love us. You know what I'm saying? Uh, when I give gifts to my kids, even now that they're grown, I just say, just love me when I'm old. And they said, Dad, we, we love you. <laughs> I think they're saying something. There's something underneath there that um, I haven't interpreted yet, but I'm going to leave that for another day. But then, then I think also corporately, the church, we as a group, or any group for that matter, teams, clubs, uh, events always want to have a good result on what they're doing. I mean, as a church, we want to see our community impacted. We want to see people's lives changed. If you're in this church and you're not looking to be a part of an organization, an organism that looks for life change in people, then you might be at the wrong place because we're, we're not just believing in sitting and soaking up a sermon for ourselves only. We eat so that we can have strength, so that we can do something in the kingdom of God. And so we, we care about that. We reach out to the hurting, comfort the hurting, help people in any way we can. And it's all to give God the glory. Really and truly, what we become, we become the hands and feet of Jesus. I was driving in my car yesterday, and I was just talking to the Lord, and I guess he was listening. I, th I think he was listening. I hope he was listening. But I was just working things out with him and basically saying, how do I serve you? How, how does somebody serve God? Because we use that term all the time. I'm serving the Lord. I'm serving the Lord. And how do you serve the Lord? And I, I just got an answer, I think, just, just you know, in my heart. I said, well, you, you serve the Lord by serving other people. That's who you serve. You become the hands and feet of Jesus. You do what Jesus did. He came not to be served, but to serve. And so we serve people, and we do that in, in many different ways. You can do that personally, 
But, but we've set up this whole nine weeks, this whole eight weeks, and then this Saturday, we've set up serve days so that corporately we can do something to impact the communities around us. You who are in small groups, you've planned your outreach it's fantastic. You're ready to go. Some of you have put money together. That's wonderful. You know, we've got five major events like you just heard, one in Stone, one in, one in Long Beach. We've got three here, a, a school. We've got Gulf Coast Community Ministries that are doing just a fabulous job around the coast. And then Camping for Hope, which is helping the homeless. And that's all next Saturday. Now, if you're not in a small group and you say, but I want to be part of this, then you just need to go to northwood.tv slash serve, and you'll see the different events where they are and what time. And if you'll just show up, you can be a part of what God is doing to just touch our community one more time. And by the way, in doing this serve and, and understanding how it works, it's not like we're going to go serve one time and then God's going to change the whole community and then we're done. We're going to be doing more and more serve projects. In 2019, pastor's going to share with us in January the vision of this to where we will reach out. Because I know one thing, I know Pastor Jordan's idea of vision has everything to do with reaching out and not just being inbred. Things get really weird, don't they, when you start just patting each other. I used to say, rub-a-dub-dub, three men in a tub. How clean do we have to get before we go do something for God? Amen? So I'm ready for you as I'm ministering today because I know when we challenge people to make a step forward, we get silence. So I've been preparing myself for your silence today, amen? So you ready for this? You ready to do this? You ready to go for it? Serving our city? Serving our city? You know, a lot of people help cities. A lot of people help this city. A lot of people help the city you grew up, you grew up in. A lot of people help people all over the world. I mean, there are billionaires who help people all over the world. They give billions of dollars. You hear what I'm telling you? Billions of dollars. They help the poor. They help, they build schools. They build hospitals, complexes of all sorts. They, they, they give ships worth of food. Airplanes drop food in remote areas. People do a lot of things for humanity. And the church does a lot of things for humanity. Tremendous things are taking place for many, many years before any of us was born. Before we were born, there were people doing great things. It's not what I do for humanity. It's whose name I do it in that makes the impact. What authority am I doing something in a community for? I thought, you know, if I sat down with a philanthropist who was a man who gave a lot of money, if I sat down with him, he might would tell me, well, look, you gave a banana to that man. I gave a banana to that man. We both gave a banana to the man. I'm just doing the same thing you're doing, and we are. We're both giving a banana to a man, but I'm giving it to him in the name of Jesus, which I believe changes the whole complexion of what I do. I believe it really does. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, the Bible says, whatever you do, today we're talking about serving your city, whatever you do, work heartily or work abundantly, work real heartily as for the Lord and not for men. That's why we always say we serve without strings attached. We're not doing this to get the eye of man, not to get his attention, although it will, by the way, and I don't know anybody who wouldn't want to be a part of a church that gives and shares and helps. But that's not the main focus. The main focus is the Lord. Work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord, from the Lord, what happens? 
you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So there are rewards. There are rewards for wages. Wages is what you get for what you do. Most of you work, and you work for a paycheck. Most of you would not get up at 5 o'clock in the morning and drive to your job and work 10 hours, five or six days a week, uh, for no pay. You want to get paid. That's why we work. We work to get paid. And when we serve the Lord and when we do things in our community, we, we, we will gather temporal results, temporal rewards. And you should. Listen to me. When you do something good for somebody, you should feel good that you did something good for somebody. You shouldn't feel bad that you did something good for somebody. You shouldn't be so humble that you don't enjoy the fruit of your labor. So it's okay Saturday when you finish the, the serve day that you get your group together or some friends together. You go have lunch together at a restaurant and just rejoice and say, wasn't this just wonderful what we did today? God's not against that. He'll not punish you for being glad that you did what he wanted you to do. You getting that? So don't get all, you know, humble, misplaced humility. Go ahead and receive it. You're doing it as unto the Lord. So there's gratification and there's fulfillment and that's okay. But then on top of that, there's the unseen, there's the eternal rewards that you're building up treasures in heaven. I believe this. I believe when our motives are correct, when our heart is right, and we're doing things to the Lord, for the Lord, in the name of the Lord, for people who need help, who need to know the Lord, I believe that we store up treasures in heaven. I can't see my treasures in heaven. I don't, I, I don't envision a vault where God's putting little gold bricks for van because I don't believe that's the type reward we're talking about. But there are treasures in heaven. Every time we serve we store up treasures in heaven, and it doesn't fade away. It's not going to get eaten up by inflation or a bad stock market or a bad deal. It's sure it's complete. You know, in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus was interacting with some people. He interacted with a young man who was rich, and uh, Jesus had a conversation with him, and most of you know your Bible, know what happened. Jesus said, uh, you know, this is what you need to do to get eternal life, and he said, man, I'm right on spot with that, you know, and then Jesus told him, said, sell everything you have and follow me, and then everything will be cool, and he said, I can't do that. I'm sad. He left. He didn't, he didn't cash in all the chips, so to speak, and then there's a conversation between Jesus and his disciples, and they're all wondering, man, they stand up and say, well, Jesus, who can be saved? I mean, and, you know, uh, this thing's too hard. What, what's going on? And that's when Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a, man, a rich man to enter, enter heaven. And, and so they're having this conversation. I can just imagine what they were talking about. And then Peter said this in this conversation. He said, see, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? He said, Jesus, might I remind you that we were minding our own business and then you came alone and said, follow me, and I'll make you a fisher of men. And so remember, Jesus, how we left our boat? Remember how we left everything? Remember how we, we left our companies? And James and John probably chimed in and said, yeah, Lord, remember? We left Daddy in the boat. When you called us, we left Daddy in the boat. We left everything for you. And they thought, wow, what are we going to get for it? Peter said, what, what are we getting, Jesus, for what, what we're doing? 
Well, you know, they've been obedient, and so they figure they ought to get something. What is our reward? And so Jesus, this is what he said to them. He said, truly I say to you, in the new world, I like that, the new world, not the new world order. Don't get all preppy on me. In the new world, when Jesus, who is king, takes command of everything, and when Jesus, who knows everything, comes on the scene and sits on his throne. He said, when in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, because he's coming back to earth to sit on his throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And uh, that sounds really, really big, you know, that they would be on thrones and they would judge. And, and this is left to interpretation. And we can't get into it all, but I believe it's real figurative because I believe that all of us are going to rule and reign with Jesus. All of those who have named the name of Jesus, all of those who are following Christ with all of their heart are going to one day rule and reign with him. He teaches us in the Bible that we're going to judge angels. And so he admonishes us that we ought to be able to handle little skirmishes within our relationship here in the, in the church if we're going to judge angels. So we got to get our program together here. Come on now and learn how to judge matters between ourselves because one day we'll judge angels. And I don't know what all that means, and neither do you. But I tell you one thing, it's going to be big, it's going to be great, and those who follow him are going to have special places with him, do wonderful things with him forever, more so than, I think, leaning on a cloud, playing a harp. Lord, I don't want to play a harp in heaven. I want to do something for you in the new world. And so Jesus goes on. He says, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or family or mothers or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Now, I'm not sure Jesus was saying if you give up a house for my sake that I'm going to give you a hundred houses. That would be kind of foolish. I don't want 100 houses. I don't need 100 houses. It's hard enough for me and Jan to keep our one house clean. Come on now. But what he's saying is that no matter what you give up for my name's sake, I'm going to fulfill you. I'm going to give you the equivalent of what you, you, you give up. You know, you give up some things to live for Jesus. Some of you have not to have, you haven't had to give up as much as other people. But some of us, you know, when we, you know, when we gave our heart to Jesus, uh, you know, we kind of lost a lot of relationships. Uh, like people didn't like that idea. Some of you come from wonderful Christian homes, and when people get saved, y'all have a party. And, you know, they put a reef around your neck, and they say, oh, he's great. Welcome to the kingdom. And others want to put a rope around your neck and say, what's up with you? You think you're better than us and all. You lose friends. Some people have lost jobs. Some people have lost their own life. But God says, you know what? If you'll lose your life, and we're going to talk about that after a while, you'll gain a bunch of stuff. So he says, I'm going to give you equivalence. And you know what? When Jan and I, everything that we gave up to serve God, he has given it back to us a hundredfold. I'm just going to tell you the truth. We lost every friend we had when we came to Jesus. And now we have so many friends that we can't even keep track of their names. You know, it's like, hey, yeah, I love you. I know you. What's your name? I forgot because I just met 19 other people a while ago. I'm just telling you that that's what God will do for those who love him. And so here, here it is. There are no eternal rewards before salvation, but everything we do after salvation counts. Look, let me tell you something. Before a person gets saved, and I mean really gets saved, I'm not talking about liking church or coming to church a lot talking about a person who's been regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit within their spirit, 
And all of a sudden, they are alive to God, and they know him intimately. The things prior to that commitment mean nothing. There's no rewards for that, no matter what I did. But everything after coming to Christ matters. Everything matters big time. When our oldest daughter, Carrie, was about six or seven, she, one night we were sitting in the living room. She came up. She had a little round table with her and a little Bible in her arm. And she came and she put it in, in the middle of the room. She opened the Bible up and she said, God has a book and he's writing in it. And after we found out what she was talking about, she was talking about God is keeping track of what you do. And I thought, good preaching, sister. <laughs> because God is keeping track of what we do. And we will give account of what we do. As a matter of fact, we will give account of every word we have spoken. We will give account of every action we have done after coming to Christ. See, our sins, for believers, our sins have been judged at Calvary already. But there's coming a day when we stand before Jesus and his judgment seat, and he will judge what we have done with what he has given us. So it's just not a matter of us kind of just sitting and letting other people do while we don't do. I told you it would get quiet. Come on now. I'm going to help some of you out here in just a little bit. So when we sacrifice for the kingdom of God, there's a payback. It's never forgotten. God knows what he's doing. And so what is it going to take to keep serving for the long haul? I'm looking out in this small room here, and I'm seeing some of you that have been serving Jesus for 45 years, and some even longer. And here you are still serving. I can find you this Saturday somewhere serving somebody after all those years. So how do you take serving to, to the next level for the long haul? How do you do that? Well, we're going to help you understand that right now. I think the first thing that we need to understand to keep serving, we must have vision. There has to be a vision in our hearts and, 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 and in, our, in our lives and in our church because we're talking about serving our city and we're talking about serving our city in the context of a church, of a local church. There's got to be vision that propels us into the future. Pastor Jordan's vision is, is and I can see it clearly now, I'm not going to articulate it in words because that's his position, but I am going to tell you this, that part of his vision is to get the church out of the church and into the community. That I can tell you because that's our job. Because if our, if, if our calling was only to sit and soak sermons for selfish consumption, then we could do that in heaven in a side room. Jesus would just rent a little side room in heaven and have to sit there and then he could bring in John the Baptist to preach to us. Or Elijah. Or even Moses could come in and expound those five books he wrote to where we could understand Leviticus. Okay? But he didn't do it that way. He put us in a world so that we could be world changers, so that we could affect things. So it has, we have to have vision. We have to have spirit-led vision. Now, let me make it very simple for you because when we start talking about being led by God and spirit-led and all this, we get really, really weird and we say, well, I can't do that because, you know, I don't know this. I don't know that. Look, the spirit-led life is simply a life that's fully devoted to Christ, that knows the word of God. You cannot be ignorant of God's word and, and be led by God's spirit. You cannot be ignorant of God's word and be led by God's spirit. You say, well, teach us the word. Well, last year we went through the whole Bible. But that's not enough. You have to go through the whole Bible. 
Jan and I used to take our Bibles, and I could bring them out here and put them on the screen for you. We ripped Bibles up. We read it and read it and wrote on it and lined it out and highlighted it and, and taught it and, and learned it and asked questions and went after it because it was everything to us because we did leave everything that we knew to follow Christ. And so vision, spirit-led, just loving the Lord, seeing what God sees, getting eternal perspective on things rather than just temporal. Folks, our jobs are great. We need to work and do things as unto the Lord. But, but our job is just a means to make money, to put food on the table and shelter around our heads and a car to drive. Come on now. That's not why we exist we exist to bring the kingdom of God. We are missionaries in our community. You are a missionary in your community. You are a missionary. Forget about the missionary who goes to a foreign field. We are a foreign field. The foreign fields across this street, over here to my left, down the street at Walmart, everywhere you go, your school, your job, your civic organization, it's all a missions field. And you are a missionary to your community. So you have to have vision. If you don't have personal vision, get in the carpet vision, and I guarantee you that a spark will fly off that carpet vision into your heart, set you aflame, and you'll have personal vision. So vision. But I think also, if we're going to serve for the long haul, to keep serving, we must sacrifice. Now, here's where, where we're going to get real quiet, so I understand. Sacrifice. Because we, 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 we don't understand sacrifice, and we, and we truly don't understand mutual sacrifice. But I'll tell you what, God has called us to a sacrificial life. If you're going to go from good to great, it's going to take sacrifice. No one ever goes to great from good without sacrifice. Nothing is built without great sacrifice. That means you, you, you sacrifice your time, you sacrifice your energy, and you sacrifice your money. That's what you do. You know, I, I was driving around yesterday, and I was just talking to the Lord. I said, oh, and I passed by a church that hasn't grown. We've been here 29 years. In 29 years, the church hasn't grown. And I was just saying, why is, why is this church not growing? What, what is wrong? What is happening? Why did Northwood grow? And why didn't this church grow? And why don't every church grow? And I don't understand. I don't understand why churches don't grow. And, of course, some of you have all the great answers I know. Maybe you could tell me afterwards. But, but here's what I got out of it. So I started reminiscing about this church and why, does, why is this church growing? And so I came up with one thing that was brought to my mind. One thing was brought to my mind. And some of you in this room were with us. We walked this community. We put a map on a, on a bulletin board of this entire area, every street. I, I, I drew it off of an overhead projector. I put the name of every street. All the whole area, it's got a lot of streets, folks. You know what I mean? And then we got together and we walked and we knocked on and talked to people in 6,600 homes. Prayed for the sick, prayed for those in need, shared with those who would let us share, got doors slammed in our face, got told off, we're a cult, you're crazy, you're of the devil, we're just slamming the door. 6,600. Hundred every Saturday we would meet together in the little room in the back of the church. We would pray over that map, and then we would go. And on Monday morning, I would get out a highlighter, and I would highlight the streets that we went to until finally I looked one day at that map, and every street was highlighted. 
And I believe the Lord said, that's one reason you grew, because you reached out and you brought a message of hope to somebody who would hear. You see, it's not about us being rejected. It's not even about him being accepted. It's about him being presented. Being presented. That's evangelism. And we, we, when we present Jesus to people, we have evangelized people. And then God takes over from there. We have to give mutual uh, sacrifice, not just one, two, 10, 50, not 40%, not 50%. Where do we get the idea? Come on now, folks. Where do we get the idea that half or three quarters can sacrifice and the other 25 to 50% do nothing? Where, do, where did that come from? On the job, you get fired. <laughs> come on now. Let me tell you something. If, you, <laughs> if you're working with five men or five women on the job, and you're, you're really busting it, and they're doing nothing, eventually the powers that be are going to find out, and they're going to be reprimanded, maybe even fired. Because you know what? It doesn't happen on the job. It doesn't happen on the bowling team. It doesn't happen on the baseball team. It doesn't happen anywhere in society. You got busted. But in the church, <laughs> let me help you who feel guilty right now, okay? I want to help you because we're not a guilt-driven church. We're not that. But I, I want to say something. Watch this. Obedience and sacrifice squelch guilt and shame. Did you get that? Obedience and sacrifice to the Lord squelches, chokes out, puts down guilt and shame in your life for not being sacrificial and obedient. That's the best way I can put it for you to help you to understand you who feel guilty when we start challenging that we, we understand that we have to sacrifice. Man, Jesus died on a cross. Apostles were cut in two. Martyrs have been burned at the stake. People have died for what we're sitting for. I think when I sit in a comfortable chair in an auditorium to hear this glorious gospel, I do think the cost of sacrifice that it took for me to be able to have the right and the privilege to hear such wonderful words, to be encouraged in my spirit. My goodness, the souls that have died and suffered loss that we might be able to carry the torch again. I just think it's wonderful. And I think that's why if we're going to keep going and keep serving, we've got to have endurance. We've got to have this thing of endurance. You know, continued motivation. You know, some people say, oh, you preachers, you're just motivational speakers. Absolutely. We seek to inspire and motivate you to serve God. Absolutely. Because we all need inspiration. We all need motivation and encouragement to keep going with God. But know this, that it's the Lord you serve and it's the Lord you must answer to. Okay, and so, so watch this. I, I, I think that in order to have this thing of endurance, we have to be conditioned. We have to be conditioned, and, and that's one thing that most of us don't do. Now, some of you are in very good condition. Most of you, like me, not conditioned, <laughs> all right? But watch this. 
when I was young and small and, and real, you know, I'm saying tight and all, all those wonderful things when you're 20. And we used to race motorcycles. We loved to race motorcycles. Oh, we just, I mean, motorcycles were our life. Race these bikes, go, go, go. But you know what? We, we, why we didn't win, we, we lacked some skill, of course, but we were not conditioned. We were weekend racers. And so, you know, we'd work all weekend, but all week, but then we'd just go race on the weekends. Well, I was racing one time, and I was doing real well. You would have been very proud of me. I was just going and coming down the last straightaway. It was just so wonderful, you know, and it's motocross, so it's kind of rough, you know what I'm saying? And, and I just, I could see it as I was, today. it was like in slow motion. I, I'm, I'm looking to the finish line, and all of a sudden, this right arm, you know, that was my throttle arm, it just, it just gave way completely and just went limp. And then I followed the arm straight down off the bike onto the ground because I wasn't conditioned to race for 20 solid minutes. And sometimes we're trying to run this race with Jesus and we're not conditioned in the spirit being strengthened by the word of God, by prayer, by fellowship with other people, by being together, by being challenged, by being encouraged, being inspired, being motivated, that when we get in the long haul, we just fall right off the motorcycle. And we don't win, and we don't get a trophy. I didn't get a trophy that day. That was back in the day when you lost, you really lost. You didn't get a trophy just because you started your motorcycle. The guy didn't come and say, well, let me give you this little trophy uh, van because you started your motorcycle and you went around the track four times. <laughs> it was like, didn't even mention your name, just drag your bike to the truck back there. <laughs> priorities. To endure, you have to have priorities. It's not about how much time we have, it's about how we've managed the time we have. That's what it is. So priorities, the thing is, you know, I could preach all day. Are your priorities that of the kingdom of God or does soccer practice take the place of the kingdom? I mean, come on, let's get real. Are the activities of our kids robbing us from doing the will of God? When we played baseball, when we had church during the week on Wednesdays at 5.30, I'd call time. Sometime I was the head coach, sometime the assistant coach, sometime a, uh, just a parent called time and I'd tell the coach, Get Jordan off the first. We're going to church. He'd get off the first. We'd go to church. Get off a catch. Put your gear down. We're going, we're going to church. Why? Because he had to serve at the church. Playing drums. You know what? That didn't cause him playing baseball. He never made it to the major leagues. But what we put in him has got him standing in this pulpit leading this church. Amen? So, I mean, I'm just, I'm just sharing with you. Just get your priorities straight. Get your priorities straight. If you're going to endure, you've got to have relationships that challenge you. You know what I mean? And I will say this to you who are 20 to 40 years of age. It's time for you to stand up and lead this church. Get up, get involved, and start leading. You who once led, who are filled with experience and greatness in your life, get off the bench. I'm putting you in the game today. Get up, get off, get back in the game. We have to run this race with endurance no matter what happens. And then lastly, to keep serving, we must continue to be transformed. Because transformation 
That means being changed from the inside out. Transformation brings transportation. God will transport you into something different as you're transformed. We can't handle some things we have vision for. He has to transform us a little further, a little more, until finally he can put us in a certain place to do a certain thing. Zeal without knowledge, trouble. God will transport you into different things. He changes us from the inside out. Don't short circuit the transformation that God has for you. Don't let a trial or a trouble or a failure uh, derail you from doing what God has for you. Get up again. Dust yourself off. Confess your sin, your problem, your thing. Get free, whatever it takes. Stand up and move forward again. God is for you, not against you. God is with you, not against you. You understand that, folks? And I'm not, I don't care what it is you've done or what you think you failed at that's so monumental that the blood of Jesus and the Spirit of God cannot overcome in your life. I don't know what that is, but I'll tell you what, it will not stand up to the power of God. You have to be transformed. You have to let God change the desires of your life. You've got to be in that place where you receive and say, Lord, give me the desires of your heart. They're the desires of my heart. You have to do that. Otherwise, you're just like me, selfish. We are selfish people. That's just because we're people, and that's what we do. So you've got to be in a position where you're saying, God, I need a change. I need my desires transformed. And, of course, it starts with Jesus. Let me close with this little bit of Scripture here. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus was talking to his disciples, teaching them. And he said, if anyone, if, I love that word, if, Jesus was just that way. He said, you know, if this is what you want, if, if anyone would come after me, follow me, be a Christian, let him deny himself. Mm. That means that I can't get what I want. Okay, I'm denying myself. And take up his cross, whatever that is, whatever my cross is, whatever the Lord would have me to do, whatever it is, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. What does that mean? But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You know what that means? That means if my life is set upon only satisfying my own personal likes, what I want to do, my earthly desires, my earthly endeavors to receive my earthly rewards, if that's all that I have, if that's all I'm pressing for, I will gain that life. I will gain prominence. I will gain success. But I will lose my life with God. But if I will lose that life... For the sake of Christ, that means I will turn my emphasis from just that and put that in its rightful place and turn my heart towards heaven because you're beautiful, Lord. Your face is all I seek. Your will for my life, you're going to take care of that, the clothes, the house, the needs. But, but I'm, I'm zeroing in on you, Lord, because of that, I'm going to gain eternal life. And there's no way around it. It is the way it is. So he goes on, he says, for what will a man profit if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? We understand that. Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and he will repay each person according to what he has done. 
God's got a book. And he's looking at it. And he's not recording these things so that he can tell you how bad you were and how much you didn't do. He's not, that's not what God wants for your life. What he wants for your life is an abundant interest. He wants to give you rewards. He wants to give you treasures in heaven. But, but my God, we've got to fight the battle of keeping our eyes on the prize. Jesus tells parables. He tells three parables in a row. And one of them, he says, you know what? A man found a field that had a treasure buried in it. He knew there was a treasure in that field. So he went and he sold everything that he had, everything he had, and he bought that field. You know what the treasure is in that field? It's Jesus. And I am to sell everything in my life up the river of God. Come on now. In order to gain Christ. In order to gain my Christ. It's not going to be good enough. I refuse to walk into heaven like a man who's walked through a wall of fire. And have everything I've ever done in his life burned up. I refuse to give 30, 40, 50 years of service to Christ. And then stand before Christ and he say, come on in. You burnt up. Everything you did was burned up. It was wrong motive. You, did it. you, you didn't do it. You did it for yourself. Or you did nothing. I love you. I die for you. Come into the kingdom. Peter says it this way. He says that we might have an abundant entrance into the kingdom of God. An abundant entry. You know what an abundant entry is? An abundant entry is, what's up? Hey, y'all. Oh, I'm not all burned up, singed up, dragging in. You know, it's so good to be saved. Hallelujah. No, it's like, what's up, fam? Woo. Isn't that what you want? But see, we don't think about that now because each day just goes by. But then one day, it's the last day. And then one day, I'm standing with Jesus. And through the love that's in his eyes and his heart because he loves people so dearly, he's going to have to render judgment of my works. And I'm going to get through. But I want it to be abundant. I think we need to echo the Apostle Paul when he said, you know what? Everything that I had, I counted as wasteful that I might gain Jesus. I gave up everything that I might gain Jesus. My life is done. I've been poured out. The time of my departing is at hand. And he said, this is one thing I do know, that God has laid up for me the crown of righteousness, but not only me, Everyone who loves and follows Jesus. I'm looking at all your faces. A lot of you I don't know. And most all of you I don't know where you stand with God. I mean, really. But I just want to kind of open up the heart of God to you and say to you, Come on in. The table is set. Jesus is waiting. He's not changing. He's not going to do a switcheroo on you. He's going to offer you eternal life.
eternal glory with him forever and ever. And while you're on this earth, decency. Last night, late, Jen and I were talking. I said, you know what, baby? If everything that we teach and believe doesn't happen, if we die and go in the grave and that's the end of everything, like some people believe, which we don't believe that, but if it was, still, we have lived a better life serving Christ on this earth. Amen? Come on. Let's bow our heads together. Can we do that just for a moment and get along with your God and think about your life in Him and think about your service to Him? Think about where you stand, your heart. Think about all the struggles of serving your city and being active in, in serving others and following Jesus as He served all. But for some of you, the most pertinent question right now is, am I connected to Jesus? Have I come to him, believed in him, confessed my need for him and my sins, and has he forgiven me? And do I have a new life to live in Christ? And believe me, when that happens to you, you know it. So if that hasn't happened, if you're unsure, if you don't know, I'm getting ready to pray a simple prayer because God knows every heart. He reads every mind right now. Just a simple prayer of dedication to the king. It's why we exist here. To reconcile people back to God. So simply pray this prayer along with me. Or maybe just in your own words. Right now some of you are already praying. Already just saying God help me. Father would you forgive me of my sin. Lord God would you accept me into your family. I need your help. I ask you to change my life, Lord. I repent of the way I've lived. I'm turning from the way I lived. And God, I want to live a new life according to what you see. I give you my whole life today. I trust you, what you did on the cross. I trust that that was payment for everything that I've done. And I thank you now, Lord Jesus, for loving me for forgiving me and for accepting me into your family. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Now watch this. If you prayed that prayer, it's the beginning of something great. It's a, an adventure. Listen to me, you who have been saved for 20, 30 years, 15 years, you grew up in this thing. This is the great adventure. And if your adventure has grown cold and you're in the shallows of the river of life, I would just admonish you to shove off the shore and get back in the rapids where the currents flow. If you just made that decision, let me be the first to say congratulations. The decision to follow Christ is just the beginning of your relationship with God, and we'd love to help you with your next few steps. We're one church in multiple locations. We have a campus in Gulfport, Wiggins, and in Long Beach, Mississippi. If you're in one of those areas, we'd love to see you at one of our live services. You can visit our website, northwood.tv, for service times and directions. Thanks for joining us today. We'll see you next time.